You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 192. What's going on, Mark? What's only going on, Jake? Because I only have half a bed. You have half a bed? <laughs> yeah, I just bought a house. We moved in and I had uh, furniture delivered this morning. I had a bedroom set delivered this morning. And they only delivered half of the bed frame. And my question is, somebody had to order it, right? I was there when I paid for it and they ordered it. Somebody had to put that order together, ship it to the warehouse. Somebody had to load it on the truck. And then the guys had to unload it off the truck and come put it together in my house. Don't you think in all those people, somebody should have noticed half the bed was missing? You would think so. But then again, that's not their job to analyze how much bed you ordered. <laughs> and so I have half a bed in my master bedroom and it's fine. I mean, I, they've ordered it and they've jumped through hoops and they would get it here another week. But it's just, just think there would have been a little quality control there along the way. Yep. So in other news, I don't know whether to feel honored or to feel upset. Why? What happened? We've been declared, you, me, Colin, really any other podcaster in the entire oil and gas space have been declared enemies of the state by SPE GCS. <laughs> so the Gulf Coast chapter of SPE. Yeah, which is so funny. So just a long story short, I don't want to go, I, I have nothing, I have no issues with SPE. First off, let me state that. A few people from SPE reached out to work with some, on hosting some events and creating some content and stuff, which we're all about. You know, it's a big part of what our lives are. They asked, hey, do you see us as competitors? I said, absolutely not. I said, a rising tide raises all ships. I guess word from the top comes down and they say that we are enemies and that we will not be involved in any other events or doing any content together or anything like that, which makes absolutely no sense. But they said, feel free to, to still promote all of our events on your podcast, but we can't reciprocate it. You know what's funny about that? We went through the same thing last year with the same group. I mean, almost identical thing. And the funny thing is we were, we were told that we were competitors. And so I'm trying to figure out how an organization of engineers that's there to better the oil and gas industry is competing with a company that does new media. <laughs> and I can't figure out, because like you, I don't see them as, not only do I not see this yeah. competition, I'm a member. Like I pay money to be a member of that group. And I support <laughs> them 100%. I'm emceeing an event sometime at the end of this month with them. So it's you know, come on, industry as a whole, we're all here together. We're all in the same boat. We're all helping each other. I mean, you know, I, I love all my fellow oil and gas podcasters. I don't see anybody's competition. We're all in this to make a difference in the world. So it just, just almost seems like an antiquated way of thinking. Yeah, there's much bigger issues facing our industry as far as like public perception, for example. And that's where we should really divert our attention. But I have nothing bad to say about SBE. I just thought it was kind of humorous. No skin off my back. But on to a lighter topic. We have any reviews? We always have reviews, except for the times we don't. <laughs> uh, and every now and then when Jake and I don't get a review, it's kind of weird because we don't know what to do about it. So yeah, we got one today. It's awesome. So Real Talk by Derek from the US of A. The show is a great source for real talk about the oil and gas industry with a positive future looking perspective. Real value in each episode. Excellent podcast. So big shout out to Derek. Thank you for the review. And if you'd like us to give you a shout out, it takes two minutes. Leave us a review for this show and any of our other oil and gas shows. And if we read it on the air, you will get a big shout out. And honestly, it also helps your peers. The state of podcasting has got to the point that for every one good podcast, there's 500 bad ones. And so when you leave us a review and leave us a four or five star review, when people are surfing through looking at podcasts and they see all those four or five star reviews, they know to check it out. So it helps your peers find the better shows. So so it's not only helping us, but you're also helping your, your fellow people in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, let's get into the news stories. I don't want to talk politics, but there's something that we have to talk about. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've seen that the U.S. has 
we, we did a drone strike and we killed the Iranian general. Probably going to butcher this. It's probably Qasem Soleimani or something like that. Close enough. He's been a longstanding general. He's been a general for over 20 years. He has been the mastermind behind every military operation that has been either Iran themselves or Iranian backed over the last 20 years. And so you have him to thank for things such as the invention of IEDs, or maybe not the invention of, but the widespread use of IEDs throughout Afghanistan and Iraq earlier, I guess, a few decades ago. This has been a long series of events. As you guys can remember, we talked about there were a few oil tankers that were attacked. There was a U.S. drone that was shot down. There were a few other smaller things. The U.S. started backing out of the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. And as a result, a militia of, it's an Iranian-backed militia, I don't, I don't know all the details, started to try to siege the U.S. embassy there in Baghdad. And as you guys can probably recall, we had a little incident called Benghazi quite a few years back where Ambassador Stevens was killed along with a bunch of U.S. Navy SEALs during that siege. And so I believe President Trump issued an executive order and flew 100 Marines out there within an hour and the siege immediately stopped. It's amazing how the Marines have that effect on other people. And then following that, they had intel that there was a lot more bad things that were going to happen to kind of summarize. And so we issued a drone strike on the general and his right-hand man as they were leaving the airport in Baghdad. So the question you should be asking yourself is why were they in Baghdad in the first place? And so they had a lot of intel, a lot of crazy things were going on. So regardless of what your political views are, that is a historical recount of the events that have led up to the past few days. And now the question is, what happens next? Are we on the verge of World War III? What do you think, Mark? We're not on the verge of World War III, but you know my predictions that I came out in November. I said this is going to happen, and I still don't want it to happen. But I tell you this much. So I got a lot of friends of mine that are still in the military, but I've heard a lot of stuff that it wasn't just taking out this leader, but it was also there was weapons of mass destruction being built, and they they took the laboratories that were building those weapons of mass destruction out as well with a strike. And you know, the other thing I said about our predictions is I'm going to quit shying away from politics because it's time we start doing it. So this is the right freaking thing to do. Like Benghazi, when Trump saw that our embassy and our embassy staff was in trouble, he sent the Marines. It took him an hour, right? We had 20 helicopters around the embassy within six hours. We had warplanes in the air. We have troops headed out there that way. Don't mess with us. You know, at the same time, I think this is the beginning of something bigger. And unfortunately, I hope I'm wrong about this. Now, this is the Oil and Gas This Week podcast, and all of this has led to a spike in oil prices, which is expected. The big thing is what happens next. I don't want to see people get hurt. I don't want to see American boots on the soil, but we're already past that point. If things don't escalate, I think we can calm this down rather quickly and and go down the path of diplomacy. But if we can't get this thing to calm down in the next day or two, I'm afraid it's going to escalate. Yeah. So Iran is promising severe retaliation, right? But if you really look at the situation, we were already pulling out of the US embassy in in Baghdad, but we still had stragglers there. So if Iran doesn't retaliate and allows us to do that and to leave, I don't know if I don't know if we're at that point where we still would, but if we were, then they'll really get what they want. They want the US gone from the area, right? I kind of want us gone from the area too. Yeah, me too. I kind of want them to handle their own issues, right? However, if they retaliate, it's going to be a bad day for Iran. And not just Iran, it's going to be a bad day for a lot of other countries in the area. Because Iran doesn't want, just like other countries, they don't want a battle to take place in their own country. And so there's a lot of speculation that they will begin moving into either Iraq or into 
possibly even to Pakistan and other areas and take the war elsewhere so that they can preserve their own lands. And so it will be a bad day for the entire Middle East. And I strongly advise if, if you're listening, Iran, do not retaliate. Yeah, just don't do it. Yeah. But obviously that affects oil price. Oil oil's at a, a seven-month high. Really not for the best reasons, but it is what it is. Speaking of kind of just looking forward to the next year, are oil mergers going to pick up in 2020? So to give you kind of an overview of the industry, the total value of mergers and acquisitions in the U.S. oil and gas industry last year was $92 billion, above the average of $78 billion over the past 10 years. But that's skewed by one big deal, which was the biggest deal of the entire decade, right? That was the Oxy purchasing Anadarko for $57 billion. And so that was the largest oil and gas deal for the entire decade. Everybody thought that this was going to start a ton of M&A activity. That hasn't been the case. And so M&A activity has been affected by overall cautiousness among energy investors. We've seen a lot of companies are, or a lot of investors are preferring that companies return cash to shareholders rather than spending it buying new companies. Banks and other lenders have been really wary lending any more money to oil and gas companies. We've talked a lot about that at length, but you have to understand that there's $200 billion worth of debt to shale companies that is coming due in 2020. That's a massive number. It's a massive amount. When you don't have more debt, you can't drill more or you can't acquire more because these, most of these companies are not operating within cash flow. I said most. There's some that still are able to. Oil and gas, it's a declining asset, right? So you're not increasing production. Your revenue is going down. Now you can't even make the, the minimum payments on your debt. So imagine that you can't make your minimum credit card payment. It's the same thing, but at a much larger scale, right? So what are their options? Currently, it's we can try to restructure it. We've seen a lot of that, but we're seeing not as many people being able to actually successfully restructure their debt. The really large ones are because then it becomes a big issue, big liability for the banks themselves. The other option is going to be mergers, right? And so getting together mergers of like kind, hopefully we saw there's some data from Inveris towards the end of the year, seeing that a lot of companies that were willing to sell were willing to sell at a massive discount because they're just kind of getting scared that they're not going to survive. Right. So the article dives into a few different acquisition targets, and then let's let's see if we agree or disagree. I don't really have too much commentary on on, on their their picks, but for those who are listening, they picked out uh, Centennial Resource Development, uh, headed up by Mark Papa, Matador Resources, QEP Resources, SM Energy, WPX Energy, Laredo Petroleum, and privately held Halcon Resources. What are your thoughts, Mark? So I don't know Halicon very well, so I'm going to pull that one out. But all the rest of them, I think, are, are probably prime targets. And you know that, that leaves six. There's probably 60. If I spent some time, I could probably come up with. But to your point, you know, it's it's there's a lot of companies out there that are struggling. And if you're a company that has positive cash flow and you're looking to make acquisitions, this is the time to do it. Yeah. I only have commentary about one of the picks, Halcon Resources. I don't necessarily think that's going to be, unless they're going to completely just fire sell their assets. That's led up by Floyd Wilson, I believe. He was a guy who sold Petrohawk for a few billion dollars. And then he had another one. They're all like bird or hawk themed startup companies that he runs. But Halcon's actually filed bankruptcy twice, I believe. So he's got that whole chapter 22 thing, if you know what I mean. I don't think they're, he was, he was a huge gambler on new plays and I don't think it's worked out well for him since. So I don't really know if that's going to be a good target, but there's always the right number for the right deal. Moving on to some other things that we probably should be looking at as an industry. ESG, it's been top of mind for everybody in the industry you don't know what ESG is, it's environmental, social, and governance. Let me stop you real quick, Jake. In the old days, it's called CSR, right? Corporate Social Responsibility is now called ESG, just so people understand those two things are about the same. 
CSR. So what, what did the CSR stand for? Corporate Social Responsibility. Okay. Yeah. So same thing, rebranded. I guess it's a yep. new cool thing that the uh, the younger generation is using to try to bully companies into doing things. But I do believe, so the environmental stuff is not going away, right? It's going to become a bigger and bigger issue. It's up to us as an industry to really hopefully change public perception. We're doing a terrible job at that. Social probably won't go away either. The social aspect, if you're kind of curious what that means, it means if you are Chevron, are you working with other vendors who kind of hold the same code of ethics as you? And really, it's do you hold the same code of ethics as the investors in Chevron? That's probably not going to go away either. But corporate governance, I think there's a lot that we can fix, particularly executive compensation that has come under fire by a lot of people on Energy Fintwit, which is a, a kind of a group of people who kind of talk about the financial side of the oil and gas industry on Twitter. Executive compensation traditionally has been tied to growth, but growth has got us in a bad situation, especially with the shale industry currently. It should be tied to profitability. It really should. That changes a lot of things. We've seen a lot of management teams that have been paying themselves ridiculous amounts of money for companies that have already filed bankruptcy, You know, massive multi-million dollar retention bonuses to keep the teams on afterwards. We've seen some side deals. We've seen a lot of different things. So I think executive compensation, and not just executive compensation, I think if you really rethink the way that you compensate your entire staff, some of the best companies, the best operators that I've seen, everybody has a little piece of the action, especially when you have your engineers and your geologists and your landman all getting on on every well that you drill. Guess what? You stop making mistakes. Now everybody is incentivized for this well to hit and to produce as much as possible. So just my two cents. Yeah, this is a big, big, big thing. You know, our Permian Perspective podcast that's sponsored by Baker Hughes is right smack in the middle of this. So Baker wanted to let the local community that it operates in, so the Midland, Odessa, you know, New Mexico, the whole Permian area, know that how much they care. And it's it's not marketing fluff. It's legit. And they're using the podcast to help spread that message. And so this is becoming a bigger and bigger thing. And the problem is a lot of, especially the big oil and gas companies tend to try to throw this to their big corporate marketing folks. And what happens is when you take something like this, that, that really affects the feet on the street, the frontline people, the people that live in the neighborhoods that work in the neighborhoods, and you throw a highly produced, you know, half hour, Hollywood type video, they discount it immediately from the company because they consider it, you know, big oil marketing. This sort of stuff needs to be homegrown, frontline. You know, there's a handful of companies out there that are letting their people actually use social media, which is really good. And speaking of of stuff that would just I never thought I would ever hear, you know, recently we interviewed actually it was really cool, live from the Astros <laughs> locker room, the head of AI with ExxonMobil. And I was having some off-the-mic conversations with him. And he was telling me that now Exxon is not only allowing people to use social media, they're, they're encouraging it. It's like, oh my God, that's not the Exxon I know. Exxon I know had everything locked down all the time. So, you know, even the big old chips like ExxonMobil is realizing that this needs to be more real, more personable. We have a new show coming out sometime this year, fingers crossed, that's addressing this exact same thing. But, you know, if you work in the oil and gas industry and you don't even have to be an oil and gas company, you know, if you're if you're hauling produced water or if you're, you know, providing through tubing services or wireline or whatever, you also need to be aware of the the perception of how you affect the environment, how you affect the local communities that you operate in and how you guide and steer your company. Because number one, it's important for this new younger workforce. But number two, it really is the right thing to do. To Jay's point, you know, the way we've compensated some of my executives drove the wrong behavior. And I understand why, because at that time that was the right behavior or the the perception of the right behavior for the shareholders. But we need to kind of throttle that back a little bit. And once again, to Jake's point, when you have the entire team with a common goal and that common goal is driven by common 
compensation metrics or bonus metrics. It just works better for everybody. And so this is not going away. It's going to continue to be bigger and bigger, and it should be. And and the other thing is, Jake, you know, I cannot think, I've been in this industry over 20 years. I have never seen an industry, not one, that worries about the environment as much as we do. I mean, everybody gets measured on its impact to the environment. The problem is we just don't let the rest of the world know that we do that. And so that's the other part of this is, is we have to start educating the rest of the world about what we do and what we're measured on, what's important to us. I'll give you a perfect example. I don't know if I brought this up before, but you know, speaking of ExxonMobil, when they built their big corporate campus I'm out there north of Spring, Texas, they had a whole bunch of trees and they start construction they had to remove. And then they removed those trees and they spent a ton of money. They put them in cold storage and they paid tree doctors. This is true to take care of those trees for about two years. And when they finished construction and they were ready to actually do the landscaping, they brought those tree back and they replanted them. That is a wonderful story of how a big oil and gas company took care of the environment. The problem is, Jake, Exxon never told that story to anybody. And when I found this out, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. This is the type of stuff that we need to talk about. Not patting yourself on the back, but just talk about what you did. So we need more of that. And it's up to our industry to do it because nobody else is going to do it for us. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. Rigzone has revealed the most wanted oil and gas skills of 2019. As many of you know, Rigzone has like a job board. So they base it off of the jobs that were posted the, the most often, right? Mark, you have any guesses? I mean, you've read the articles. You probably know well, I'm trying stuff. not to read ahead because I'm actually surprised. Like the first three that I see, I would have not have guessed at all. Yeah, n- n- neither would I. And so let me just go through and list them. Let's have some commentary. First one, field service tech. A little surprised, to be honest with you. I can't that believe one. that's number one. I knew that would be in there, but I wouldn't expect to be number one. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's kind of broad. I mean, there's a lot of different kind of field service techs, but I'm very surprised that, that was number one. Student and recent graduate. Also very surprised about that, considering the number of people that are having a hard time getting a job. Super surprised. that one. I wouldn't even thought that would have made the list. Yeah, n- neither would I. QA, QC, and inspection. I can understand that. I, I, I didn't know it was in such high demand. And then accounting. You always need accounting. Maybe everybody's scrapping their entire accounting department <laughs> to save money. So that's pretty funny. And the last one's maintenance techs. I mean, that's kind of the same thing as the field service. Tech, no. So. so the maintenance techs is working internal, right? The maintenance tech is keeping all the stuff working, air conditions, computers, plumbing. And the field service tech is the guy that's actually working with the oil field tools out in the field or doing the measurement or whatever. So they're slightly different. But you know, the only one in here that I would have probably got right was accounting. <laughs> So you guys ask us, what are people looking for? Great way to, to figure that out is to see what people are hiring for, right? Use that for your, your decisions of what you want to do in your career, especially when it comes to the new degrees, new certifications, or just new trade skills. Let's not overlook that too. It's a big part of our world today. So next up, global deep water production hits 10 million barrels of oil a day for the first time ever, according to a new report from Widmac. And so it's on the trajectory to top 14.5 million BOE per day in the next five years. We've talked about it. We've talked about, you know, deep water went out of, out of vogue there for a little while. We've, we've struggled to kind of be able to bring those costs down just with the construction and how long it takes to build some of these deep water platforms. And then with the cycles and, you, you know, you know how that works. And, and I think finally, I think we've kind of figured it out. I think we've been somewhat stable for a little while in terms of commodity price. And I think we have a lot of new technology we're going to bring down the cost of producing and building these offshore platforms. Yeah, The other thing that's kind of cool about this is these are the long-term job creators because it's not like in 18 months you discover oil, you drill, you put a production platform in and you do a subsea tieback to a pipeline. That's like a 20-year project, right? And so this is long-term jobs. And this is also major large capex, long 
project management cycles. And this is where the super majors excel. The Chevrons and the BPs and the Totals and Exxon, this is their bread and butter. This is their sweet spot is doing stuff like this. And so it's just nice to see this starting to come back. The other thing this tells me is that if it's starting, if production is starting to go up deep water, that the majors and the nationalized oil companies think that the price of oil is going to go up in the next couple of years, right? And what they're doing is trying to get ahead of that. They're trying to get to the point where they go in production and time it just right. So I don't think the price of oil is going to go up other than this is a conflict in the Middle East, which will be a temporary blip. But let's see what happens. This is, this is great. Either, you know, I'd, I'd love to be wrong about this. I'd love, I'd love the price of oil to go up and all these deep water projects are, are time it just right. I, I agree. I don't, I don't foresee any major oil spikes, but we never do, right? Up next, so Mark, you stuck in some articles on me, so I'm not too, I mean, let me try to sight read these as we're going along. Next up is test raise alarms over fuel blends coming for ocean going vessels. So one thing I do know about this is we've already talked about it. And so there was a new clean fuel mandate for the, the gigantic oil tankers that actually took effect on January 1st. It was supposed to be some kind of new, I don't know, more, I guess, Reduce some kind of emissions. Yeah, it's a low sulfur, low sulfur fuel. Something you saw the diesel industry go through here in the U.S. about five years ago, where on the road trucks have to run low sulfur fuel, and it's not just super tanker jakes. It's all the big ships, especially the cargo container ships. And so what's what's happening is the the world has agreed to, on a lower sulfur fuel, which reduces emissions. And the the problem with this is it looks like now, based upon the the testing done by Amstec Services, and that was a that's a piece of Lloyd's, and Lloyd's have been around forever. That these new fuels that these tankers and super tankers and cargo ships are starting to run don't meet the quality standards they should. Now, the problem with that is when you ruin an engine 200 miles off the coast of southern Brazil in a 500-ton cargo ship, people's phones ring, right? And so what this is going to do, if they can't get this fixed, they can't figure out why these fuels aren't meeting standards, is, is ship operators aren't going to move to the new fuels, which is not going to remove, not going to reduce emissions. So let's hope that that this is an isolated case. Let's hope that as they go around and test all these new fuels, that the, mule, that the marine fuel suppliers can get their act together and that can actually produce the same quality of fuels with lower sulfur content than they were doing before with the higher sulfur content. Honestly, this is probably to be expected as you move the world <laughs> offshore in industry to a different fuel source, you're going to have hiccups. And I'm pretty sure that's just what this is. The demand for the new fuel, the lower sulfur fuel is extremely high, which means there's a lot of money to be made at it, which means they'll get this fixed relatively quickly. But you know, if, if you're a marine operator out there, big shout out to Tidewater, who's the largest offshore operator in the world and also one of our sponsors. You know, I know their guys, I know their research and development guys are looking hard at this, making sure the fuels they put in their their fleet is 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 up to, to par. So just a little little glitch in the market, but it is interesting that this happened at all. You would have thought the companies that are producing this fuel would have had enough quality control that this would not have even happened. Up next, India is expected to lead Asia's new oil and gas. New build trunk pipeline length additions contributing around 53% of Asia's planned and announced pipeline lengths additions between 2019 and 2023. Biggest thing here, as I see, is they're investing a ton into the infrastructure so they can pipe natural gas and get away from coal. Yep. Bingo. Right. And so in order to do that, you need to have infrastructure. That infrastructure is best served by pipelines, something politically we struggle with here in, in Canada a little bit because the public for somehow thinks that pipelines aren't a good thing. They're the best thing ever. But India doesn't care. India is looking to reduce its emission levels. It's also looking to make sure it has more electric energy for its people. And they're doing it with electrical generation plants that are run on natural gas. And to move that natural gas, they need pipelines. Now, what's interesting, Jake, I don't know if you remember from the Marine Corps. So that's that's 23, 360 clicks, kilometers. 
That's 14,000 miles, if I did the math right, of pipeline. That's a lot of pipeline. That's a lot of pipeline. Yeah, in audience, if I got the math wrong, let me know, because it's been a long time since I had to convert kilometers to miles. Not that the formula has changed. I've gotten old. It's easier for me to make mistakes. But yeah, that's a lot of pipelines. So speaking of Asia, Asia is also expected to lead the global ethylene industry capacity growth for new building expansion projects between 2019 and 2030 with a 47% share. I think this shows that with this and the last few articles that you kind of stuck in here is that global demand is only increasing. Yeah. Right. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people have a lot of concerns about that. They think domestically, domestic demand is increasing. Global demand is really increasing. Yeah, and the only reason this is in here is I'm trying to shift people's mindset. So audience, when you think of hydrocarbons, which crude and oil are hydrocarbons, when you think of hydrocarbons, don't just think of them as fuels. They literally make allow us to manufacture everything that allows modern life to be possible. Not only do they allow us to manufacture things like basketballs and car tires and you know the, the vinyl inside the Tesla, but they also feed the world. 70%, almost 70% of the world is fed from fertilizer made from natural gas. They, they get the ammonia out of the natural gas to make fertilizer. So hydrocarbons are vital to all of us, not just in a fuel capacity. Here in Europe, every year we use less and less hydrocarbons for fuel, but we use more of it to make stuff. And the world needs more of the stuff. And we're going we're, we're, we're going there. And this is cool because right now, I think we're third or fourth in the world as far as ethylene production. And ethylene, if you don't know, is basically raw feedstock from plastic. It's made from natural gas. So an ethylene cracker make, basically turns natural gas into plastics. But it's really cool to see the rest of the world catching up with this and actually also build an ethylene capacity. And you know what that does, Jake? It drives the cost down for things like iPhones and basketballs and you know tennis shoes and nylon shirts and everything else for everybody so here and in europe here in the u.s and europe we're kind of spoiled by how cheap we can get plastics made but the rest of the world isn't well now they'll get to enjoy the same cheap manufacturing of goods somewhere soon that that we get to enjoy now the problem with this and this is something a lot of people understand here and in europe because we've grown from our industrial revolution, we've grown a lot of things. And one of the things that we have grown is the infrastructure to handle trash, to handle waste. That includes plastics, right? A lot of the developing countries, you think of Africa and China, they've never grown. They jumped from no phone service to wireless phone service. They didn't go from no phone service to wired phones to wireless phones. They just jumped to the wireless. It's the same thing happened with their, their infrastructure for trash. They don't have it. So when you think about all the reports you see about plastics in the ocean, almost 100% of that comes from Africa and China, because what they do with their plastic trash, they don't have an infrastructure. They literally throw it in the water, throw it in the rivers, and it ends up in the oceans. So part of the responsibility from a global point of view of these emerging economies is to actually spend money on building the infrastructure, which we have here in Europe. So us and Europeans find it hard to believe that people in Brazil just throw plastic bags of trash in the, in the river, but they do. We need to make sure that that is being taken care of as well, because until we build that infrastructure to handle the waste, you're going to have more plastics where they're not supposed to be. Now, once that infrastructure is in place, plastics are ridiculously easy to recycle. I mean, it's it's almost free to recycle them. So we're getting there. We're getting there. We're already there here in the U.S. We're already there in Europe. We just have to help the rest of the world get there. But I do think it's cool that almost 50% of the increase in ethylene capacity is going to come from um, Asia Pacific in the, in the next 50 years. All right, guys, that wraps up the stories for this week. Mark, we're still doing the giveaway? No, we're still doing giveaway. Jake, I'm not going to mention names. I want to really bad. Somebody offered me a lot of cash on these shirts. And and I number one, I can't do it because the way we have it set up just to keep these type of things from happening. But the number two, I won't do it because it's unethical. So if you want one of these shirts, you have to win one. People, if you don't win one, you can register every week. You don't have to register just once. But they're really cool. I got a pump jack print on the front. Got our OGGN logo on one sleeve, IBM's logo on the other sleeve, which, by the way, 
big shout out to IBM. They renewed our contract with us. They love us, which means we're going to be doing more cool stuff. If you have one of these shirts, pay very close to that unique serial number on the chest. Jake and I are getting ready to give away some cool stuff in the next 30 days based upon that unique serial number. We know how many shirts are out there. We know what the numbers are. So just stay tuned for that. But go go to the show notes, sign up, and, and register to win one of these. And then I'm scared to even ask. What's the weekly recount? It's actually, you know, we, we we keep saying it's ready. It's actually a good thing. It's down 827. We need lower production as a nation. Or my belief is we need lower production. I think we can be the swing producer. We can increase prices. I also believe we probably need some kind of domestic cartel, some kind of agreement between operators, but probably never going to happen. So yeah, we are down 1% from last week at 827. Yeah. Just remember audience that the correlation between production and rig count isn't what it used to be. But speaking of what isn't what it used to be, we used to not have a street team. Well, now we do. And actually I spent yesterday designing some of the really cool shirts that our street team members get. So if you want to join, go to the Facebook group, look for OGG and street team. We ask you to give us an hour's worth of work a week. To be honest, it's rare that we ask y'all to do anything, but when we do, if you can give us an hour, that's great. And if you can't, we totally get it, right? We have jobs too. And you're basically just helping with our social media. And then speaking of social media, I'll talk a little bit about BCD Travel because I screwed up. I think I mentioned this in the last show, but you know, BCD Travel is our travel provider of choice. They make our oil and gas traveling life so much easier and they're awesome. Jake, they have an app that literally I can look at my app and see where any of our people are anywhere in the world. And if something bad happens, like there's some type of you know embassy being taken over, I get alerted and then I can literally hit a button and say, get my people out of there. That is really cool. And if you're in a bigger organization than our 13-man organization, it's really helpful. The thing is, BCD Travel loves us and loves our audience. And they're giving everybody a free cup of coffee, a free Starbucks gift card. You don't have to win it. They're just giving it away. The problem is, Jake, I screwed up. And for the last three months, we've had the wrong link there. And that was totally my fault. I forgot to forward the new link there. So if you try to win a cup or try to get a cup of coffee for it, it didn't work. It works now. So just go to the show notes, click there. I think they want your email address and your name. And you get free Starbucks coffee on BCD travel. Speaking of stuff like that, we have our my monthly oil and gas events newsletter. It just went out yesterday, I believe. If you want to learn about all the oil and gas events that are going on, just sign up. We don't charge you for it. It's absolutely free. We also throw stuff in there that's the invitation only or private or the public doesn't know about. Sometimes we throw coupons in there. It's just a, a good resource for you to have. And then speaking of stuff like that, depending on when the show goes out, we have our next two live events. We have our Houston OGG and happy hour. And we're talking about AI for oil and gas, but we're talking about the reality, not hype. That's the 16th of January. And at the end of January in Denver, our Denver happy hour is going on. And it's basically drinking with the geoscientists, which to me sounds fun. So if I can make it up there, I'm going to go out and, and join that happy hour as well. Both of those links are in the show notes and they're also both in the monthly newsletter. We have a Pittsburgh one coming out in February. And then I think we're taking a break again till April. But anyway, just check out our, our, our live events. There are a ton of fun and the money goes to local charities. Uh, and then speaking of local charities, Jake and I will be a, will give you a charitable donation <laughs> and come speak at your event. That was a bad segue. You know, your your sales and marketing event, your young professionals group, your gun club, whatever. Let us know. We actually 2020 is starting to fill up for us, but we have a lot of spots still open. So if you're interested in Jake and I coming to speak or and or bring a podcast, it's really cool when we bring a podcast because the people get to see us do it live from their from their location and they get to play a part in it. But just reach out and we'll be happy to share the details. And then pretty soon will be the next first Friday Q&A. If you have a question for Jake and I, and please remember the goal is not to stump Jake and I. The goal is help educate the audience. Go to oilandgasthisweek.com. Click on ask a question. If we use your question, we'll use it on the air. And while you're out there, 
you know what? I'm not going to ask you to give us your email address. We've been asking for that. We used it for a couple of events. We use that list for people that signed up to uh, give you people invitations, some really cool stuff. But we're changing the website and we're moving everything to one website. So until that's happened, I'm a little worried that something may get messed up. So let's hold off and give us your email address. Just give us a week or two. Let's get the new website up. And then I'll be asking you to give us your email address again. And then join our LinkedIn group. I'm telling you, Jake. Alex and Tim, I don't know what magic they're working on, but we're about 30,000 people that's following our, our LinkedIn page. That's It was like 30 when I had it. And of those 30, 12 were friends of mine. The rest were relatives. So shout out to them for, <laughs> for just doing a great job. There's some, some really cool content being put out there too, which we crack down on spammers, but it's really nice to see the content going out. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. The other thing I want to talk to our audience a little bit about is Jake and I are very aware that we have not been consistent putting out episodes. The one thing, and I wrote some of my this yesterday. The one thing that you may not have come to your attention or you may not have thought of is when we do this show, it's topical news. So it's an, it's really makes no sense for Jake and I to record a couple shows and store them so that we can use them when we get stuck in a bind because it won't be, it won't be useful because the news has a time element to it. So Jake and I really have to record these within a week of them going out. So last year we did not do a great job for a bunch of reasons. All of it's our fault. This year, Jake and I have made a commitment to get more shows out there on a regular basis. And that may mean some changes. You know, we may change a little bit on maybe we do some bigger picture stuff that's not as time sensitive as, as the news, just so we have something to get out there. But we've we've heard you. We hear that you we want more content from Jake and I. We love our audience. You know, we apologize for not being super proficient at that last year. We're gonna do it this year in 2020. Promise. Anything to add to that, Jake? Or you want to get out of here? No, let's get out of here. All right. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here are the events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck for January 2020. First of all, Happy New Year. We have a couple of great events coming up to kick off 2020 with y'all. The first one will be a Houston happy hour taking place on January 16th at the Cannon from 6 to 9 p.m. This event will be all about artificial intelligence for oil and gas. Reality, not hype. The event will feature a panel discussion and include drinks and snacks. Be sure to get your tickets. You can find our event right link on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook, or in our Modal Point newsletter every month. The next happy hour we're having is our Denver happy hour on January 30th from 4 to 6 p.m. at Liberty Oil Field Services. This event will have a panel of GEOs and feature a live recording of the Crude Audacity podcast. So it'll be super cool. Be sure to join us. Also get your tickets once again from the links posted in our Modal Point newsletter or on Oil & Gas Global Networks, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. We also will be having a Pittsburgh happy hour sometime in February with the date coming soon. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Other events on deck include the Houston API Energy General Meeting on January 14th. Guest speaker Eric Switzer, VP Global Services of Baker Hughes, will be discussing accelerating transformation in oil and gas. The 2020 Industrial Market Outlook and Networking event will be on January 23rd in Houston, and they will be discussing the latest trends that will impact project spending in North America, including the Gulf Coast region, over the next 12 to 24 months. Lastly, the Wildcatters Ball will be held on February 7th, 2020 in Houston. This ball is the primary oil and natural gas industry fundraising event for the IPAA Educational Foundation. The proceeds will go toward funding the foundation's energy education programs. That's all for this month. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and check in next month for the events on deck for February. 
Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.